And so today we are going to be talking, as, as John said, the title of my sermon is Unashamed. And you guys will notice I am wearing a Falcons jersey. I have been so elated. Okay? Thursday night, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers lost. And therefore, my Falcons at three and four are in sole possession of first place in the NFC South. Now, two things you need to know about me. Two things you need to know about me. Number one, I'm a huge Falcons fan. Uh, I'm a huge Clemson fan. I'm a huge Braves fan. You guys all know this, right? Especially Clemson, right? But I'm also a Cowboy hater. Anybody Cowboy fans here in the house? Oh, you, my people. My people right there. Because I, I just love... So one of our daycare teachers, her name is Terry. She is awesome, but she's a Cowboys fan. And I give her grief every day. Every day. If I can make a Cowboys joke, it's coming. It's absolutely coming. So I walked up to her last week and I was like, oh my goodness. You're, you're a Cowboys right now, what, five and two, I think it is? Five and two? Wow, and you can only manage third place in your division? Man, that's, that's terrible. I mean, right now, we have the number four seed in the playoffs right now. Cowboys are in the sixth seed. You imagine what the Cowboys' record would be if they were in our division? Probably be like one and six, because that's where you have to be in order to be third place in our division. Oh, I love doing that. When it comes, when it comes to being a Falcons fan and a Cowboy hater, I am unashamed. Right? I am absolutely 100% unashamed. Any day, any time. You can talk to me any day, any time on any of my teams. I will tell you the 20 different ways they will win the game. Doesn't matter what their record is. They, they will beat you this week. Seriously, the way it is. How many of you are the same way? Come on. You got a sports team, you're out there. Really? I'm the only one unashamed. Everybody else is like, no, I'm more of a realist. My team stinks. Right? <laughs> right? You know, I'm I'm the eternal optimist. My dad growing up was the eternal pessimist. He's a Georgia fan, which is hilarious because they just won the national championship. They're number one in some of the polls right now. They're they're not in some of the other ones. Talk to him on the phone. He's convinced they're losing at least three games this year. Like, what the heck? My Clemson Tigers? 8-0. We're going to the natty, baby! That's the way it is. There's, there's just a, such a stark difference because when it comes to my teams, I am unashamed, right? And this is really what we're going to be talking about as we continue our study in the Gospel of John. So if you will with me, this week we read chapters 4 and 5 together. There were four different things that happened in these two chapters. Uh, One is the woman at the well, and that's what we're going to dive in a little bit deeper on today. And then after that, we see the healing of the official son. We see the healing at the pool of Bethesda, and then the fallout afterwards because he healed on the Sabbath day, talking to the Jews who were there. So these are the four instances, the four teachings, the four um, historical accounts that we covered this week in chapter 4. So if you will, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4, to a very familiar story for those of you who have read the Word of God before. Again, John is, is one of those places in Scripture that are very, very familiar, and so this is a familiar story for many. Hopefully, we'll be able to pull some things out of it that are both for those who've never heard it before, as well as those who have. 
The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had gone through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? Also, as also his sons and his flocks and herds. And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. So we look at this section of the scripture right here. We see a couple of things. First of all, Jesus goes to this town, the Samaritan town, which normally if you're going to Jerusalem, you would just bypass all of Samaria. This is customary. It's like go across the river, go on down. It, it takes longer. But they chose to go through Samaria. And they stop in this town where Jacob's well is. And as as they stop in this town, there's this lady who's drawing from a well at an odd hour. Usually you would draw from the well early in the morning. Set out your day so that you would have water for the entirety of the day. But here she is in kind of the middle of the day drawing from the well. Jesus asked to get that water and she immediately says, you know what, but... Why are you asking me? Jews and Samaritans, we don't get along. As a matter of fact, Jews were referred to Samaritans as half-breeds. They were 
half Jewish, half something else. So it goes all the way back to the time in Assyria where they were taken out. And as they were taken out and they had come back into the land, they had intermarried with other people. So they only had half a heritage that was Jewish. They were known as half-breeds. They weren't, they weren't fully Jewish. They weren't fully Greek or Gentile or heathen. So they were just kind of Samaritans. And therefore, because they weren't pure, they were looked down upon. And so Jesus asking this woman for water in the first place was a scandalous proposition, at least in the eyes of the culture, both for the Samaritans and for the Jews. And they get to talking and Jesus reveals, hey, if you would have asked me, I would give you living water. Oh, the prospect of having living water? That's just too much. You imagine not having to come back to this well again and again and again and again? Absolutely. Give me this water so I don't have to come back here and do that. She's thinking only in human terms. She thinks that Jesus is offering this idea that somehow her belly is going to be filled with water at the right time of day every day so that she doesn't have to come and draw water from this well. And so Jesus says, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband. And then Jesus says something that surprises her. You're right in saying you don't have a husband. As a matter of fact, you've had five husbands. And the one you're with now, he's not your husband. What would you do in a situation like that? Probably the same thing that this lady did, change the subject. Right? Not talking about me, let's talk about somebody else. We, we hear that the Messiah, is, I could perceive that you're a prophet. Let's talk about godly things. Let's not talk about me. Right? I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. Now, and has already come that God is wanting people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And now that he, he has successfully switched the subject to himself. Her mind goes to this idea, well, I know that Messiah is supposed to come. That even though she's not following the law the way she ought to be. Because she shouldn't be married to five different people and definitely shouldn't be living with somebody. But I know a little bit about God, and I know that there's supposed to be a Messiah. There's everybody talking about that the Messiah is supposed to come. I do know that. There's great anticipation for the Messiah to be here. Let's talk about that. And Jesus revealed, I who am speaking to you am he. See, in this first section of Scripture, the one who is unashamed is Jesus, because he is talking to a lady of ill repute. Here is a supposed respected rabbi speaking to a lady in the middle of town because she's drawing water in the middle of the day, not in the early part of the day like everybody else. Why? Because she's known to be kind of the shady character. And Jesus is the one that approaches her. 
As a matter of fact, we're going to find out in the disciples in just a moment, when they, when they see they have this reaction, like, nobody dared ask him, right? <laughs> why are you talking to this lady? <laughs> he, he's the teacher, we're not, but still, why? 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 Why did we go this way? Now you're in the middle of town, now you're talking to this lady? And... She's got a history. Of course, Jesus knows this. I don't know the disciples do, but you kind of can figure it out, right? It'd be like us going to certain parts of town that you just kind of recognize that this part of town is not the, you know, it's not where you're going to get your Girl Scout cookies, right? You just kind of know, right? That this is not where you're going to go to, you know, let's do a lemonade stand out here. See what happens, right? We can, we can figure those things out. Same thing here. Certain part, certain time of day where those other characters are, are going to come to the well to draw. This is that time. Jesus is talking to her, and he's unashamed to do it. That's not where it ends. So he's revealed himself to her. And let's continue on. Let's read the rest of this encounter. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked what do you want or why are you talking with her? Oh, they wanted to. You can tell by the text they wanted to. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. And meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four more months and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is. See, in the first part of this section, the unashamed one is Jesus, has no problem talking with this lady at the well, that culturally, this is totally taboo. You're not supposed to associate with such people. You're not supposed to associate with Samaritans because Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans. You're not supposed to associate with this woman who has had five husbands and is now living with somebody else. These are taboo things. There's a reason why she's drawing water alone in the middle of town in the middle of the day. And Jesus is unashamed in revealing himself fully to her. Which leads to the second section of scripture which is amazing because this woman who nobody wants to be around now goes and runs to everybody in the town. The unashamed one here is the woman because now she's running off and telling everybody, hey, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this not be the Messiah? Messiah. 
And she tells everybody. Think about it. The woman that nobody wants anything to do with is running up to you. I got to tell you something. I just had this incredible encounter with this man who says he is the Christ. Could he not be the Christ? He told me everything I ever did. And the amazing thing with this is that some of these people believe simply upon this testimony. They believe because he told me everything I ever did. My goodness, that's crazy. He's got to be the Christ. I mean, if, they, if he knows everything that you ever did, right? Been married to five husbands, you're living with somebody now? He knew that? Who would know that? They didn't keep records quite the same way that we do now. They didn't get to go down to the courthouse. They don't Google it. It isn't put online for everybody to see. Facebook status just wasn't known back then. I mean, we take these things for granted, right? We do. It's like I could find out about anybody. If you got a Facebook account, like married, went to this school, went and did this. It would be like, that's no big deal. It's all over Facebook, right? They didn't have that. And Jesus said, you've been married five times and the man you're with is not your husband. How would he have known that unless he's God? Unless he's that promised Christ who was to come. That he's more than a prophet. And knowing that she's standing in the presence of the Christ takes away every inhibition. Think about it. Here's a woman who's by herself in the middle of town drawing water so she doesn't bring attention to herself. She's an outcast of society. She wants nothing to do with anybody else talking to her about her life. And here's this man who comes and reveals everything about her and says that he's the Christ. And all of her pretense now of keeping things to herself is gone. And she's unashamed. I don't care anymore. People have got to know this is, a, this is the one we're looking for. I'm going to go tell everybody. They come and see him. And they beg him to stay. And he stays a couple more days. And the testimony after all of this is that now we believe. Not just because you said, but now we have seen for ourselves and believe that this is the son of God. This is the savior of the world. Because she was unashamed to tell everybody who she had just found. Now contrast that reaction to the Pharisees, to the Jews in the next chapter. We look in John chapter 5, we see the healing at the pool of Bethesda. But here's the big problem. The big problem is this. This happened on a Sabbath and they started persecuting Jesus because he healed on a Sabbath. All Jesus did for the Samaritans was reveal her past, and they're all coming and believing, even though they don't know everything right about Jesus. They're like, dude, that's the Messiah. Here are the teachers of the law witnessing a miracle of a man who was paralyzed and standing up after 38 years, nearly four decades of paralyzation. You know what their reaction is? He healed on the Sabbath. How dare he? 
What? What is wrong with you? Wouldn't that be most of our reaction? He's running around. Who could do something like that but God? God wouldn't do it on the Sabbath. So Jesus declares that he's been working to this very day, just as his father's working. Now they want to kill him. Because he's made himself equal with God. Dude, if the guy can raise people up who are paralyzed, he's kind of equal with God. Because only God can do that. And it leads to this discourse here at the end of the chapter, starting in verse 31. And it's so interesting. Jesus talking, he says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John, John the Baptist, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses on whom your hopes are set. If you'd believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Here, the unashamed ones are the Jews, are the Pharisees. They're unashamed to slander somebody who has just healed somebody after a 38-year paralysis. And instead of praise God and recognize the signs that are there, they hurl insults against Jesus. And Jesus comes back with this and he points back to John and he says this, I say this to you to accept John's testimony so that you might believe. See, his whole purpose of even pointing back to John is to say that you might believe who I am. That I am who I say that I am. That I am the Christ. I'm the one that you guys are looking for. And guess what? You're not believing me. And the funny thing is, you know the scriptures so much better than that woman at the well who didn't know the scriptures, didn't even know the right place to worship. Jesus corrected her on that, wasn't living the right lifestyle. Jesus talked about those things and she changed the subject because she knew she wasn't living right and revealed himself to her and she brought the entire town unashamed. Jesus heals in the temple where they're supposed to be worshiping God. And all the leaders can do is try and find reasons why they shouldn't believe in Jesus. 
And Jesus then points to the scriptures. You diligently study the scriptures. For you think by, by them you have eternal life. But those are written about me. And your judge is going to be Moses, not me. You know why? Because he wrote about me and you don't believe him, even though you say that you do. This is why he says, guess what? I know the word of God does not dwell in your heart because if it did, you would recognize who I am. But you are unashamed in slandering the Christ, the Son of God, the one who has come to give eternal life. As a matter of fact, you're plotting to kill him. That's so different, isn't it? Two chapters, two reactions. All unashamed, right? I went to the mall with my daughter about a week ago. We're having these daddy-daughter dates. It was a family date. We kind of went out as a family. We walked the mall, started talking to people, giving her a hard time. My, my daughter is awesome because my daughter's gift is evangelism. It's not always easy for her, but she always does it. It's amazing to watch her do it. She'll ask anybody, anywhere, anytime about stuff. And so Shannon and I were kind of picking on her because there was this guy that was in, the, in there. We're like, you should ask him. You should ask him to go to church with you. You should, you know, this, this is, you, we're talking with him and all that. So we left that store, went to another store. Went to that other store and she was like, you know what? You're right, I should go and tell that person. And so she left us in that store to go back to the other store to invite that person to Rise, which is the young adult ministry over at Sagebrush. It's like, I'm just going to invite you to come. That's awesome. We were over in a sports store looking at sports memorabilia at the time and I was talking to a guy who was there. And I can't remember what we talked about, but I remember, you know, we got to the next aisle and my daughter said to me, you should ask that guy to go to church with you. You made a conversation with him. You should do that. And I was like, I wasn't expecting it. And so I'm sitting there going like, yeah, you should do it. You say it all the time. You should absolutely go do that. You should go. You should go. You should go. And I felt like that. Stop pushing me. Stop pushing me. Don't do that. I'll do it when I'm ready. That was me. Seriously, the whole time. I'll do it when I'm ready. Don't do it. I actually left and I did not ask him to come to church. I was like, I was like, but it was playing on my mind. Like, you know, I gave her a hard time with it. She went back and did it. And here I was like, I got to be geared up for it. Like I have to do it. And here she was like, you should do it right now. No, don't, don't do it like that. You got to do it when I'm ready. How many of you, come on, can you relate? Have you been there? Yeah. Ugh. My daughter is unashamed. I love it. I love it. She's unashamed to share Jesus to people who are around her. I want to get back to doing that. I used to do that all the time. What, what happened? I, I remember doing stuff like that. I remember early in my walk with Jesus Christ where we would go out, and Shannon will tell you, we looked forward to times like Halloween. We would go, we went to Walmart and bought stacks of Bibles because they were out at the Bible bookstore. Like, okay, it's today. The Bible bookstore is closed. We, we ran out of Bibles. We need to go to Walmart, buy these Bibles, and hand them out to people when they knock on our door for candy. Dude, we would hand out tracts and Bibles and everything. This is operative. When are people going to knock on your door and ask for something? You're like... 
Need Jesus? Here you go. Here's a Bible. Here's a, here's a track for a church. Here's something right here. I can give that to you. I'm so excited about sharing Jesus. We would go and look for opportunities to grab tracks and hand things out to somebody else or keep, carry flyers with us. We did that all the time. What happened to us? Seriously, what happened to us? It's not like I don't believe that my need for Jesus has ever changed. But somewhere along the line, it became harder to be unashamed for Jesus in my walk with Christ. And now I have to, quote unquote, gear myself up for it. Which I did do. I'm happy to say that later on in the week, I had opportunities to share. And I took those opportunities. And I'm thankful for that because I want to get back to that unashamed message of saying, this is what it's all about. So what happened? See, I don't think that I have decreased my dependence on Jesus. But I think what has subtly happened over time as we've been walking with Christ is that as Christians, sometimes we look at the world around us and we discount their need for Jesus. And so we're not as excited as the woman at the well who's just met Jesus and said, I don't care anymore. I don't care what you think about me. I don't care. I have found the Christ. I have found the one we're looking for. I hate to say it. I I look sometimes a little bit more like The Jewish leaders who are like, "Uh, yeah, I've studied the scriptures and maybe you need Jesus, maybe you don't need Jesus, maybe I'll just judge you from from way over there. How are they going to get to heaven unless we are sharing Christ with them as somebody who truly has good news? And I don't think that it's a malicious thing we're trying to do. But it gets comfortable being a Christian after a while. And God has been good. And we've rested in that salvation for a bit. And we've forgotten how good that news really is. And so our kids come up to us, or those who are new in the faith, saying, Hey, go share with somebody else. Stop pushing me! Stop pushing me! And the reality is, we, we should want that challenge to be stepped out of our comfort zone, to be unashamed for Jesus. So what are some of the things that prevent us from being unashamed for the gospel of Jesus Christ? One, maybe you and I aren't living right. Not living a life that Jesus wants us to live. I would say that that could be that. Hey, if they knew my lifestyle and they realized I wasn't a good representation of Jesus Christ, maybe I can't be near as ashamed for him. When I first came to Jesus, there was still a lot wrong with my life, but it didn't stop me from telling others about Jesus. As a matter of fact, as I was telling others about Jesus, it only made me want to dive deeper into my faith so that I wouldn't misrepresent Jesus. I've kind of lost that. How about you? Maybe. 
So we had a bad week. We're like, oh, I had a bad week this week. Oh, I did this this week. Or I messed up in this area that maybe I haven't messed up in in 10 years. And I messed up in this area again. I'm not a good witness. Dude, that lady at the well had five husbands, was living with somebody else, just found the Messiah and said, I'm telling everybody. What's your excuse? Is he the savior of the world, the savior of souls or not? And if he is, you had a bad week? Okay. Does that make Jesus less of a savior? No. So what's our response? As a believer, repent. Turn away. Get better. Learn more about Jesus so that we don't misrepresent him. And keep pointing people unashamedly to Christ. Another reason, some strange reasons. You know why? Because we're sinful, we struggle with the flesh, even as believers. We struggle with the flesh. Strange reason. Why don't we tell more people about Jesus? I'm going to give you a strange reason right now. Because I like our small church. And if our church grew to be too big, we would lose person. We would lose, we would lose the intimacy of this church fellowship and family. And I don't know if I could handle us being a large church or a mega church. I kid you not, I've literally heard that. I'm not saying necessarily from this congregation, but from other congregations like ours. Day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, they went from 120 people to 3,000. Boom, small church, big church, right there. You think God was pretty happy with that result? I think he was. Because we saw 3,000 people come to Jesus. You didn't see the disciples turn around like, we just lost our really beautiful, intimate church where we could pray upstairs all in one room together. Oh, guys, you and I, We're called to tell people unashamedly about Christ. We should do so in hopes that they come to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And if that causes us to grow, isn't that a praise? Isn't that what we want to see? Don't we want to see more and more life groups? Don't we want to see more and more opportunities for us to give and to serve and other people to come into this place? What if we had two services? Because there were so many people coming. And yet in our sinful human nature, there's a fear for some that having two services would ruin intimacy. We are called to be unashamed for people to come to know Jesus Christ. When did we stop? When did we stop? How have you and me become a little complacent Have we forgotten that we are called to be unashamed for the gospel of Jesus Christ, to bring people to a place where they can hear about Jesus and come to the conclusion that the people of that Samaritan village did? We now not just believe because you told us, but now we have seen for ourselves and believe that this Jesus is Savior of the world. Isn't that what we want? It only happens when we're unashamed telling everybody. I got to get better at it. That's why I'm inventing in front of you. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Because I want this place filled 
with people who need Jesus, who can hear for themselves the message of Christ and come to know him as Lord and Savior. And you should too. And it shouldn't matter if we have 50 people show up new one Sunday. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't you rejoice because you invited somebody and they showed up? Can't you remember a time new in your faith when you were walking down the mall or walking in the stadium or walking someplace else and every single person was a soul that was precious to God to you and you're like, I want that person coming to know Christ and that person coming to know Christ and that person coming to know Christ. How is that going to happen without you and me being unashamed about Jesus and running out and saying, I can tell you someone who told me everything I ever did and you know what? He died for it and he rose again. That's cool, right? Romans chapter 1. Paul puts it this way in verses 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Unashamed for the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not good enough, you're never going to be good enough. You're going to have a bad week. You're going to mess up and going to need to repent. Should that stop you from being unashamed for Jesus? No, it shouldn't. Because as we continue to be unashamed for Jesus, you know what that means? I'm going to go back again so that I can represent Jesus better, repent of the sin, draw deeper into my faith in Jesus Christ, so that 10 years from now, as I continue to be unashamed for Jesus, I'm still pointing people back to him. And when I fall, I just repent and start all over again. And over again, and over again, and over again. But I will not become ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the commitment, guys. That's the commitment. Do you stand with me? Everybody close your eyes for just a moment. Who do you know? Who do you know needs Jesus? Who do you need to be unashamed about sharing Jesus with? We go to the grocery store. Are we thinking about sharing with the cashier or the person in front of line? Person walking down the aisle that you might get into a conversation with. So you're walking down the malls. You're at a, a game or you're doing something that's crafty with other people. Or maybe you're just at work with your coworkers. Who needs Jesus in that place? And knowing that you know the Savior of the world, how could you not Be unashamed in sharing him with everyone around you. What are we worried about? Might actually respond. Might actually come to church. Might actually respond to an invitation for you sharing Christ with them during a lunch. 
Who needs to know about Jesus? We have so many opportunities. We're going to make many more opportunities together as a congregation so that people can know about Christ. But it starts with our personal commitment to do so. God, give us courage, O Lord, to live unashamedly for you. To unashamedly preach the truth of Christ to those around us. We're not all there yet. We're being sanctified. We're in different stages of our sanctification. But God, it doesn't matter. You took a woman at the well with five husbands living with somebody else and you brought an entire village to come to know you through her testimony. God, help us to be so enamored and understand the glory of Christ, the Savior of the world in our lives that we can't help but share him no matter what's going on in our lives. That you may get all of the glory. It's not an excuse for sin, but we're going to struggle with it from here until eternity, so it can't be the barrier for us sharing. God, help us. Help us to see this as good news for a lost and dying world that truly needs to know you. Give us the courage to reach out. Give us excitement of what it means when somebody begins to see the need for Jesus in their life. Help us to remember what you've called us to. And let us live unashamed for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.